What's up everyone, welcome to episode 12 of the Noise Podcast. I am your host slash your boy, Chris Pugh, and I'm joined by my very good friend and Mr. Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Samuel Lewis featuring a very sore throat, it sounds. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I'm, uh, I'm pairing through today, I'm pairing through. I'm going to pretend that it's going to be an issue for me to take the lead and talk for most of this, but... Oh, that's... thanks. That's not going to be an issue for me at all, so I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. If you're not familiar with what we do here, it's a podcast we release fortnightly where we talk about the latest news, reviews, and shit that's gone down in alternative music. Uh, Sam, episode 12, how fast has that gone? Mate, really? Yeah. Jesus, that is, uh, it is flying by. What a year we've had as well. Running order for today's episode, we're going to go through the news. Uh, I was at All Point Seas Festival on Friday, so we're definitely going to talk about that. We're going to continue with the 100 Greatest Metal Albums of All Time that Sam is going through. And then we've got album reviews coming from MTXS and Biffy Clyro. Biffy Clyro will be an interesting one. <laughs> but he was going to preface that with the concept that Sam hates Biffy Clyro, and I love them. So <laughs> that is going to be uh, the coming together of two worlds there, which will be very, very interesting. Can't wait. We do merch, noise.bigcartel.com, £15.15. You get your T-shirt and beanie together as a bundle. You can choose your colour for your beanie as well. There's a wide range of everything. We've got pink, purple, black, whatever you want is pretty much there. You should head to noise.co.uk for all your latest news, reviews and features. Uh, you've got with, uh, Recently, we've done track-by-track track features uh, with Ithaca. Well, the banging album, that was, if you remember. And mm-hmm. uh, there's an album that's uh, come out... Uh, by a band called Dude Trips, uh, which was actually fucking sick. It's like an emo album. Um, and we've got done the track by track feature with them, with them as well. I might try and get one of Dude Trips on the podcast because that latest album they released, which the name, it was quite a long one. It escapes me at the moment. Uh, but it was a fucking great album, so I'm going to try and get them onto uh, the show if possible. Sam? Yes, sir. I'm going to kick things off with uh, the news and the statement that there's a new Guns N' Roses album. Pretty much being done as we speak now i want to preface this with the concept of what do you when, when sometimes it's difficult when i bring up these oh sam xyz band are doing a new album what do you want from it because obviously you preface it with oh, i hope it's good <laughs> do you know what i mean like yeah 100 that's, that's pretty much it but guns and roses is a little bit of a different like with tool um guns and roses is a little bit of a different enigma to just your standard uh oh this band are doing a new album what do you want from it because it's fucking Guns N' Roses, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Let me ask you, Sam, did you mm-hmm. like Chinese democracy? In places. In places. I thought it got um, a really overly negative review by people that were like, well, this isn't usual illusion or appetite for destruction. Well, of course it's not. Like, it was it was written over the course of 14 years by, like, 25 different musicians when Axl Rose was going through what seemed like a collection of the the, the biggest mental breakdowns of all mental breakdowns and sacking people left, right and centre. And su- no surprise, it sounded like a cacophony of songs that didn't really fit well together because essentially that's all it was. So I think the expectations had to be adjusted. That said, there were some decent tunes on there. It wasn't a decade-defining album or the best album of their career by, by any stretch of the imagination, but it was all right. I thought there were some good songs in places, yeah. So you would put down the negatives of that, of that album down to the concept of too many writers, too many cooks in the kitchen, and just Axl Rose is having a shit time, basically. A little bit. I mean, I, I think some of the most successful albums are when when there's like a either consistent theme or the artists are really locked in for a period of time and they can focus on the craft. This was like, 
15 years of like being stuff being pieced together there was there were songs on this that were written with slash in like 1998 the album didn't come out until like well sorry not even that sorry not 98 like sort of 93 95 the album didn't even come out until 2008 like it's just it was just a bit haphazard um yeah so i think i think it was an all right album but it was yeah it was evidence of a very dysfunctional time in the band's history so with the concept of now, this is probably the most functional time Guns N' Roses have had since Use Your Illusion. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's probably, probably not even a dramatic statement. That's probably not legit. Probably probably even before then, actually, because they hated each other during Use Your Illusion. <laughs> <laughs> and he's straddling left. So, you know, this might be actually the best time they've had, perhaps, ever. Now, I am not massive on Guns N' Roses outside of the obvious bangers uh, because I just I was just never really introduced to them and by mm. and by this point obviously I feel like it's a bit too long in the, in, in the tooth for me to try and get fully in now so for, so for you with the band now probably being the most stable that like you've said they've ever been do you think you would be expecting too much to hope that this is the third best album of all time when it eventually comes out I think I don't think it's that bad to suggest that it would be if it's better than Chinese Democracy, it automatically will be their third best album of all time. Because the other album was The Spaghetti Incident, which is a collection of covers. And Chinese Democracy was the other one. So the the Usual Illusion was a double album. And they've had a greatest hits. Like, that, that's, that's been it. So like even if it's a 7 out of 10 record, it's it's going to be the third, third best one that I've done. So I think <clears throat> what I would just like it to be is I would like it to be enjoyable to the point where when they play the songs live, I'm not like going for a beer and waiting for Paradise City. And that's, that's all I want. That's the minimum expectation. I'm not expecting, um, I'm not expecting Slash and company to, to blow my socks off and release another appetite for destruction. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen again. That was like lightning in a bottle. That album was just incredible. Um, but what I would like is a couple of tunes that I just enjoy um slash has been involved in various bits and bobs lots of stuff recently he's done miles kennedy stuff he did velvet revolver stuff and there's been some good songs dotted throughout that that period of his life and axel rose can still play can still write a song so i'm hoping that that just comes together to provide him with three good songs that i don't mind hearing live amongst all the classics that's all i want really and i think i think that's what i'll get you don't think there's any chance this could sound a little bit old and haggard like when we talked about the last Megadeth album. I think it I think it has the potential to um sound a little bit slower, but again it has to be contextualised. The thing is is the difference between Megadeth and Guns N' Roses is Guns N' Roses aren't trying to play thrash metal. That's a good point, yeah. And Guns N' Roses don't need to sound like any other band because 40 year olds sound like Guns N' Roses and that sounds fine like ACDC sound like ACDC every time they release an album you know it's 140 beats per minute and it's four chords usually uh, you know what I mean so it just needs to it needs, just needs to sound like a Guns N' Roses album it just needs to have that like indefinable um, that indefinable quality that Guns N' Roses songs tend to have that instantly recognisable and I think the fact that these some of these musicians are coming together for the first time in a very long time together in a studio, like it's 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 incredible to think about. The really really slashing slash slash and Axel have not been in the studio together working on a new album 
since since 1992 <laughs> 1993 maybe and and that's that's an incredible thing to think about that we're sort of 26 years removed from that and that can happen again last time that happened again last time that happened really we had civil war and like you could be mine and stuff and they're great songs so fingers crossed i'm optimistic i'm glad to hear that you are man um and i think you've got but by how you told me how good they were when you saw them uh two years ago yeah, 2017. Um, you, you yeah. know, you said they were absolutely like absurdly better than what you could have ever hoped for because of their Agreed. age, because of uh, the different the difficulties the band have gone through. So I, I'm happy that you're um, optimistic for it, man. I mean, for me, it's like it'll probably be the first time I ever listened to a Guns N' Roses album in full. So I suppose my review will be skewed a bit because, like I said, I was never yeah. introduced to you them. Need, you need to sit down and listen to Appetite for Destruction at least once in your I life. Do. I do. do Just from what, start to finish. Do you know what the problem is? Like, there's so many bands that I need to do that for that, like, I never quite, like, I was never introduced to. Yeah, so, of course. Like, so that I've never, but, like, there's also new music that's out. <laughs> there's also music pre existing that I already love. It's like, fucking hell, man, how many hours are there in a the day? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I completely get it. Moving on from that, there's something I just want to go through quickly. Um, mm. Richard Ashcroft, a vocalist from The Verve, has gained the royalties back for Bitter, Bittersweet Symphony. Were you aware that he didn't have them? <laughs> I no, I, I wasn't aware, but it didn't surprise me. This is this is the case with a lot of bands. Yeah, like literally, I don't know whether it's because when the royalties weren't his, I wouldn't have been looking for what the royalties were for Bittersweet Symphony. He still or, got performance royalties, yeah, just not songwriting ones. Is that I, right? I'm not certain whether he whether because how I first cottoned on to this was someone put a YouTube put a video up on Twitter of him playing a bit of Bittersweet Symphony when he supported Liam Gallagher um, a recent show in Manchester and they were like it's amazing to hear Richard Ashcroft do the do Bittersweet Symphony again now that he's finally got the royalties back for it and I thought to myself has he not been doing it while the royalties haven't been his like this is crazy so I'm not sure whether like he just he wasn't performing it live either but I've done a little bit of research, and basically, um, the the song sampled orchestral versions of the Rolling Stones song "The Last Time." Yeah. And because of that, the the royalties were actually the Rolling Stones because they needed uh, money. They're really poor. The Rolling Stones are. Um, so. <laughs> so. No, no. It's principle. <laughs> Leave them alone. So somehow along the line. That's continued, and that was like what man, Bittersweet Symphony. I want to say it was like in 1997, maybe, maybe a little bit later, maybe earlier, but like it's at least like 10, 15, 20 years. Um, yeah. so that's a mate, the royalties he must have lost in that time because that song is for a start an absolute banger, and it's played, it's been played on how many radio stations across the world? Oh, yeah. like, I can't that's even imagine, it, like. It, it, how many uh, promo videos has it been on as well? Do you mean like the amount of money he must have lost is crazy? Uh, but supposedly, while I, I, I did a little bit of research, um, it wasn't a battle for him to get the royalties back. Like he went to uh, Mick Jagger, and they were like, "Oh yeah, cool man, you can have them back, no problem." So I'm not sure why he waited 21 years, <laughs> and maybe then maybe if I research a bit longer, he's just really intimidated days. by Mick Jagger. <laughs> Possibly, I mean, to be fair, you would be. Um, but yeah, mate, I, like, I wasn't aware you didn't have them. So when I saw that, I was like, I'm going to bring this up because I'm gonna, I, I wanted to know whether you knew. No, I, did, I didn't know. So does that mean that for the last 21 years, the Rolling Stones have been making the money off Bittersweet Symphony? Yes, because as I mentioned, they're very poor, the Rolling Stones. <laughs> <laughs> you socialist. Uh, <laughs> um, that's, that's, quite, that's quite extraordinary. Really... 
that there should be a I can't I, I just understand why there's not some sort of split because they didn't write the lyrics he wrote the lyrics and they provided like a sample and that that's it do you know what I mean like Eminem still got some um, some royalties for um, when he sampled Walk On and like yeah. you know what I mean like things like that so I, I don't know but I would like to know the finer details. I would like to know the finer details because it's very interesting. Are you familiar with this song the last time? Yeah. It, it does. Is it literally sound exactly the same? Is it? Is it literally like the it, the orchestra has literally been pulled and moved over to Bittersweet Symphony? Is it that similar? Um, it's been augmented a bit, but it's very close. Mm, okay, I suppose that does make sense then, because like, to, to be fair. That, or- that orchestral is, is the best part of the song, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's like incredible. It, it is, it is. But it's it's been it's been it's just been shifted a little bit, uh, mixed around a bit. But it's you listen to the song, you're like, oh yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah, I, I, I might actually do a little bit further digging on that because I, I, I like I'm really interested to see how how and what went on there. Man, music can be a crazy thing, can't it, man? Really can, mate. So we're going to talk about some Bruce Springsteen, Sam. Um, a, a, a topic, Exciting. A topic that I'm sure you will enjoy. This makes up for Biffy later. <laughs> oh, fuck me. You, so you don't like the album, then? Well, not at all. Anyway. Um... <laughs> wow, character assassination. <laughs> Attacked. So, um, Bruce Springsteen has said he will um, release an album with the E Street Band. That's right. Uh, this year and tour in 2020. Man, has this guy ever had a year off? I'm sure you'll know the answer no. to this. Um, no, not since like 1999, I don't think. That's I mean, crazy. He's, ta- he's taken like six months off at times, but like really, if he doesn't work with the band, he releases a singer-songwriter album or before this he did Broadway and then before that he wrote and released his book. And literally, I was reading through this news, this news piece and it said at the end, our Springsteen is preparing to launch his new album, Western Stars. Um, it's a return to his solo recordings on June 14th. And mm. I was like, man, what the fuck? This guy... <laughs> oh, this working musician, man. Mate, yeah, I, I, yeah. I believe that would actually be the case. This is crazy. Um, now, the reason why I brought this up is in conjunction with that news is that The Guardian, and I briefly mentioned this here yesterday when I saw Ah, uh, yes. The Guardian released a list of what they believe to be the 18... Uh, best Bruce Springsteen albums. Now I'm assuming he's done more than 18, Sam. He has. Those, those are like the 18 studio albums. He's done a plethora right. of live stuff and bits and bobs. I mean, mate, for a start, 18. That is an absurd amount. I know. <clears throat> I know he's had like a 30, 40 year career. Actually, no, 40, 50 year career nearly, isn't he? 40. Um, yeah, 1973 yeah. was his first album. Yeah, fucking hell, that's ridiculous. Uh, but still, 18 studio albums. That's um, an incredible, incredible feat. Regardless. Uh, you seem to have uh, uh, quite an amount of disdain in your eyes yesterday when I was talking to you about it. So we'll, we'll just bring it to the top three. Yeah, uh, okay. Number three, Born in the USA. Number two, Tunnel of Love. And number one, uh, Darkness on the Edge of Town. Um, now, I'm not familiar uh, with Bruce Springsteen. My parents like, were really into him, but again, it's not something I was ever introduced to. Yeah. You gave me the reaction yesterday to suggest that you had issues with that top three. Um, give me your reasons. Uh, Born to Run should be number one. Just, just statement of fact. Born to Run should be number one. Um, it's his, it's his best album. It's his best collection of songwriting. It's got the best context surrounding it. It's been, it's, it features his greatest ever song by his own admission. Not to mention the fans' admission. And it changed, it changed his entire career. 
changed his entire career. When 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 in, in 1974, Springsteen was on the verge of being kicked out from his record label because they didn't like the the lack of success that his first two albums had. And he, Born to Run had to be a success. He released Born to Run in within within a month. He was on the cover of Time and Newsweek in America simultaneously. Um, he then headlined Hammersmith Odeon and, and just kicked off the rest of his career. Um, Born in the USA um, was his biggest selling album. Um, featured the single Dancing in, a, Dancing in the Dark, which is um, a song that he wrote about not being able to write a hit single, which then ironically became his biggest hit single. <laughs> Um, but in terms of songwriting quality, Springsteen actually had a an album called Murder Incorporated in 1984 that he didn't release and chose instead to release Born in the USA as an album because he knew that it would sell, it would extend his career. Uh, it wasn't. It, it, this is a man who knows exactly where he wants to be at the at exactly what stage in the career he wants to be at, and he decided that that was the time that he wanted to be selling out stadiums and release that <laughs> release that album literally release that album deliberately. Um, in an attempt to climb the charts, and it did. Um, it was it it, it was it was a, it was a consecutive um, weeks into the top of the album chart until it was knocked off by Thriller. Uh, both albums were actually owned by the same record label, by the way. Oh, uh, so wow. I can imagine I can imagine they had a good year. Um, Jesus. But yeah, but any anyway that that aside, um, it's like saying Master Puppets is the fourth best Metallica album. Um, Really, that, that's that's what it is. Darkness in the Edge of Town is a brilliant album, and in my opinion, it's probably his second best album. Uh, Tunnel of Love is a hipster's choice. It's a, de- it's, it's a decent it's a decent album. It's like his late 80s. He came out of a divorce, and he wrote some really good songs, but they're not. It's not Born to Run. I'm sorry, it's just not Born to Run. Uh, Born to Run's a masterpiece. Uh, it's eight songs. It's 40, 40 minutes long, and every song is Honest to God, astonishing. Um, Tunnel of Love has some good moments and some exceptional songs in the midst of just overzealous synths, and it just it just doesn't have the same emotional or significant impact or the the sort of expansive sound that Springsteen's really famous for. Uh, if it was me, it would have been Born to Run One, Darkness on the Edge of Town Two, and then you could have took your pick between The River or Nebraska or I really like The Rising or whoever. At that point, I wouldn't have minded. But Born to Run has to be number one. If you asked him, he'd say the same. Interesting. Um, have you spoken to your dad about this? Uh, not yet. Um, um, I'm building my way up to it. Yeah, let me know. He's because <laughs> um, he, I'd he, imagine he, he'll say the same. Yeah, um, he really. I know he really likes. Um, I know he really likes the Tunnel of Love album. He thinks it's really intelligent. Um, but I think I think we both both recognise that Born to Run is the by far the class of his career. Uh, it's just one of the best best albums I've ever heard in any genre. Just crazy that Springsteen's got an album coming out this year and he's, he's going to have another album coming out next year and then he'll do tours and that. that this guy's absurd, isn't he? Um, and then he, he tours without support and plays three and a half hours. Man, this guy. Three and a half. When I, I saw him in um, I saw him at San Siro in Milan in 2012 and he played four hours and 15 minutes. He came. He came on at eight and, and left at quarter past one. And where does that rank in your gigs? That you've it's the best gig I've ever been to. I think. Um, yeah, there's no, honest, honestly, mate. There's nothing like it. His, his live shows are like a bucket list experience. It's like spiritual. Honestly, it's incredible. 
I've never, I've never been, to, I've never been to a show like it in terms of atmosphere and length and music and fan interaction and a sense of community and uh, loads of stuff. He's, he's set the benchmark for live performance in the rock industry in terms of longevity, consistency and, and entertainment by far and away. I love talking to you about Springsteen because I've got like, like literally no. No, like thoughts myself because I've never, I've never really dived in. Yeah, you're like, you're you, like a blank canvas. Yeah, and like you just paint me. It's class. I could talk to you about Springsteen all day. Oh, bless you. That's really cute. Um, <laughs> just wanted to make a quick mention. Uh, Ramstein's self-titled new record was number one uh, in fourteen countries. I think that's, that's incredible, incredible, man. I, I really think that is amazing. Um, German-speaking band, uh, number one album in fourteen countries. Uh, it's the seventh record. Ramstein, I'm not a fan. Uh, Germany, uh, Germany haven't had that sort of dominance around the world since, well. <laughs> oh boy, moving swiftly on. Um, <laughs> I like Duhast, of course, but other than that, yeah, Ramstein, not really for me. Uh, the industrial metal thing kind of goes over my head. But yeah. what a fucking achievement for them, man. That is awesome. And um, man, obviously, metal still sells in the yeah. right capacity. When you've got that pre, you've got that pre-existing fan base, and you've built yourself up to that level, metal can still fucking sell. That's great to see. Another another exceptional live band as well. They make they, that's where they 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 cut their teeth and their live performances. Yeah, I'm... I've been told their live show like, like I've been told by several people that like oh you don't you're not into them doesn't matter just see them live you will have a good time they're amazing. Like, yeah, he, the, 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 crazy, so. yeah the lead singer wears this like I want to call it a mask. Um, it's a classic thing I would say to wear. There's like an iron bar that goes from the suit he wears at the back to the front of his mouth, and it has a hole. For his for him to sing, but then he places a nozzle in front of it and uses it to blow flames, front as if he's breathing fire. Fucking hell! Like mid mid performance, it's it's, it's it's very impressive. If I'm ever at download and the headline again, I will um I'll have a look. Yeah, I'll re- sure I recommend the, the headline when I went and it was you go for a fireworks display featuring music. <laughs> <laughs> so I said at the end of the episode from two weeks ago that I would do a live review of both All Points East and of Make Them Suffer. Uh, but I don't think we've got time for both. So Make Them Suffer was uh, really good. Um, heavy bands are heavy, believe it or not. Uh, they were sick and Lotus like, it was sick as well and uh, Overthrown were really good. I wish I could go more into detail but I'm quite conscious of the time here. So yeah, yeah um, Make Them Suffer, it, it was like upstairs in the, in the asylum venue. So like, you know, uproar. It's like a mosh, there's a mosh pit in a cloak room, that yeah, is. Yeah, Jesus. mate, it was upstairs at Uproar. Um, it was small, tiny, claustrophobic, uh, perfect place to hold a fucking metal gig. I mean, I, I honestly, I'm not sure whether my family's Christmas meal would have fit in there, to be honest. But, mate, um, you, put a, <laughs> you put some fucking metal bands in there and it sounds fucking sick. Um, I can only imagine. They had to cut the set short, man, because they had some hard drive issues, which was a shame. But they were, they were really good and they're a band that, like, they're... In terms of overseas, they've never really exploded. They're a big deal in Australia, um, but overseas it's never it's never really like happened for them on a grand scale. But when you listen to them, it's hot. I, I don't know why because they're, they're a really really fucking good band and they played like Widow off the first album. They played Let Me In as well, which was on their second album. A uh, good fan service show, man. It was sick. Um, if they ever, you know, if you're listening to this and they're a, they're a player festival or tour the UK again, I would recommend going. If you're not really into them, man, because the fucking guitar is amazing and the programmer, um, Nisha Brooker, I think her name is, fucking amazing. She had so much depth to the band. But Sam, yes, 
on Friday, mate, I was at All Points <clears throat> East Festival in London. Tell me about it. Now, it was fucking stupid because me and Leon decided to drive, even though we've had problems driving to London before. For some reason, we thought... You two are honestly sometimes moronic the moment you leave Wolverhampton. Yeah, mate, sometimes before that. Uh, (laughs) So we decided to drive again, left the house at 10 o'clock, thinking we will be sound. It's 10 o'clock on a Friday fucking morning. We're going to be fine here. Didn't get to fucking London till half past four. It was just fucking crazy. Um, So I was really disappointed to have missed... um, quite a large portion of the festival so i, I miss lotus eater who are a band that i really really like and they come up again later and employed to serve as well which sucked but you know it's one of those mm. things like you know it, it can't be helped you know you live and learn don't you but what i what i was there for was to see while she sleeps into architects they need to bring me the horizon that's worth 60 fucking quid if you ask me yeah agreed what the fucking time it was bro um for for while she sleeps, I felt really sorry for them because back that they got killed by the sound engineer. Basically, um, their their sound was was so drum heavy that you could really barely hear anything else. And it, I really felt bad for him to be fair because that, they were still solid and really professional. But you could tell they knew that this sound just was bleak. Just literally, mate, just doom. Doom, doom, and then like bits of guitar and laws. It was pretty rough. That sucks, man. Like you, you expect a decent roadie show at this point. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure whether it was like the actual speakers or whether the sound engineer just made a mistake. But it was pretty rough. Uh, there was pe- the people around me were like being like, "Fucking hell, have you noticed this sound? It's shit." It, it, it was bad, man. However, um, they managed to still keep the energy in the crowd. Believe it or not, while she sleeps, got the crowd energetic. <laughs> Can't sound surprised to hear that. Four walls still manage to sound absolutely fucking massive. Again, can't sound surprised. And then but a guilty party and haunt me off the new record, which me and you just fucking lathered out when, it, when, it, when yeah. it came out. Uh, sound fucking great, even, even with those issues. But of course, with Bring Me The Horizon headlining and While She Sleeps on the same bill, everyone that was there was thinking, God, I hope Ollie comes out for Silent Speaks. And he did. And it was fucking awesome. Um, the the crowd literally like fucking imploded from within. Ollie has got so much star power, and again, obviously, we're going to come back onto him later. But just as like an enigma in himself, his star power is unbelievable. Like he literally, the atmosphere in the in the crowd was already like a quite a pitch. As soon as Ollie stands on the stage, the, like literally, the fucking ground like tumbles over itself. Fucking crazy, man. Uh, so it, yeah. to, to, to see Ollie do do his part in Silent Speaks Live was amazing. And I, I just feel a bit shit for Walsh Seats because they are one of the best live bands I've ever seen. They're fucking incredible. Twice me and you have seen them. And both times we left being like, I'm astonished at how great that was. Um, luckily, Agreed. I'm going to get to see Walsh Seats at 2000 Trees again next month. Hopefully not with the same issues. But yeah, I just felt a little bit sorry for them. Architects were on the same stage as well as she sleeps. And Did they sound better? They sounded a little bit better, but no, no, they sounded a fair bit better, but I was much closer forward for Architects because I was like in the pit. So <laughs> mm. <laughs> I kind of wish I wasn't now with the fucking pain I was in on Saturday morning when I woke up. But yeah, um, I think it's because I was because I was closer. The sound wasn't drowning out as much, but I, I think more than anything, it was just the speakers over the sound engineer. Regardless, mate architects headlining a stage at a festival 
They're special, aren't they? Mate, how, how do you think it went? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean uh, what I will say, they started on Modern Misery, which I, I wouldn't have predicted. That's interesting. I'll tell you what, mate. Um, because when he, when he, when uh, Sam does seven billion hungry ghosts, he's got that like dun 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 just building behind him, and then was and when we're buried by modern misery, pff, explosion, mate, everyone's fucking um exploding, fucking kicking off, mosh pits of plenty, it's crazy. Um, so I was, I was surprised I started with it, but it was actually like uh, the perfect way. Actually, it was really like immediate energy injection. And, mate, they were amazing. It was fucking Architects headlining a stage, a festival, as, as I mentioned. That They've got they've got such a fucking following, man, Architects. I, I, I will be so surprised if this band don't reach, like, massive superstardom. Because they've just... Like, I, I was... I made it, like, a mission of mine during the gig when I had a moment to just look around and see how varied the crowd was. And it really was, man. You had, like... Like, young, young, like, teenagers there. Like, 14, 15, 16. Then you had, like, full adults like me. Then you had, like... There was a fair few, like, older, older adults. Like, I saw, like, a fair few, like, 50-year-old blokes, like, about. Uh, with their missus and stuff. Which was great, man. That's the kind of shit that you need. You, you need to be a band that are able to, at some point, blend different demographics into one. Just to listen to your music, right? Yeah, absolutely, of course. And they handled the crowd size piss easily. We saw them at Wembley Arena. How easy did they handle it then? No so, problems whatsoever. So, so, of course, they handled this fantastically. <clears throat> uh, mate, the final five songs, Mortal After All, A Match Made in Heaven, Hereafter, Gone With The Wind, Doomsday. <laughs> That's all right, isn't what it? Do you, what, do you want, what do you want me to say? It was <laughs> fucking astonishing. The band, I can't speak highly enough of this band. In, in terms of, like the job this band have done to turn themselves from really great uh, British metal band that could go far to, holy shit, the, these guys will will be superstars. How could they not? Unbelievable. And they've only had a short amount of, a short space of time to do it because, what, I think 2014, uh, the album The Lost Forever Lost Together, um, I think that was like their fifth album. And, you know, if, if you're not like breaking barriers by your fifth album you'd think well you're just going to be an academy sized band for the rest of your career aren't you but somehow yes. ma- somehow mate they've they managed from that fifth album onwards to just kick into another level and this was another example of it had the fucking best time watching them they would have been the best band of the day had it not been for the fucking headliner Sam tell me more man um I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go back to I think it was like the second episode we ever did of this podcast. We were reviewing Ammo, and I said it's nowhere near as bad as what the social media some areas of social media is suggesting it is. People are just thinking it's cool to hate Bring Me the Horizon because they're not fucking doing blast beats anymore. But as I was like, I'm not sure that this album is going to do for them what they're hoping it will do. I was like, I'm just not certain. And I gave it. I think I gave it like a six. Since yes. then, the, since then the album has continued to grow on me, and, and I've started to to enjoy enjoy it a lot more. Like I think when I, when I was reviewing, I was like, I love Sugar Honey Ice and Tea, and In the Dark's a banger, and I like heavy metal. But outside of that, I'm struggling. And as time's gone on, I've really started to 
gravitate towards the album. I've really started to believe in the step that Bring Me The Horizon took. Maybe that. Maybe it's just because one of that. It's just a. It's just a grower of an album, and not like a Sempaternal, where out the guys. It's like this is fucking amazing. This is a metal album that, like, literally is a, a million years ahead of its time, etc. What I will say is that I was completely wrong to have any doubts that this album would be what takes Bring Me to the next level. I'm happy to admit I was wrong. I'm glad I was wrong because I watched them headline a festival on Friday, Sam, and they were absolutely fucking brilliant. That they were really, really fantastic, and I don't think they'd be headlining a festival if they would if they did Semper Eternal 2.0 and 3.0 as the last two albums. I don't think they would. I think they'd still be like in the hearts of it, of all the metal fans, and they'd be sub headlining download, but they wouldn't be headlining any festivals. The barrier wouldn't have stretched far enough for a festival to be comfortable that Bring Me could bring in several thousands of people. Several thousands of people. They were they were truly fucking phenomenal. I'm I'm so, I'm so like happy for them to just basically prove me wrong. And the main thing that I want to point out about their set is that the new songs sounded amazing. Medicine and Wonderful Life. Like, literally, like, the perfect blend between pop and alternative music. And the crowd, mate, were all over it. They brought out Danny Filth for Wonderful Life, which was fucking sick, man. Because I, I wasn't expecting to see anyone from Crowd of the Filth. On, I love on... Danny Filth as well. Yeah, he's a fucking oh, legend. so much time for him. He sounded class as well. I mean, he did, he did <clears> his part really well. Um, literally, mate, if you uh, Bring Me Rise has been a band for, what, 14 years? And if you're thinking about a band that have been around 14 years and, and they're headlining the festival, there's certain things that you, that you kind of need from them. Are they going to give you the stage show that that like that justifies them being headliner? Absolutely. They spared no expense. There was dancers, crazy light shows, pyro. Uh, there was smoke. There was um, crazy... Um, like, I don't, I can't, like, symbolism going on behind them on the screens. Uh, it was fucking... Like, literally... You could have enjoyed it just for, like, watching what the fuck they were doing with the screens, let alone the fact that, like, Bring Me were killing it musically. Did they give a fan service set list? Fuck me. Absolutely. And you know what, mate? They absolutely didn't have to. They could have so easily headlined that festival on their last two albums and a few from Sempaternal. Easily. And the crowd would have still poured in because that's how big they are. But, mate, the play Diamonds Aren't Forever. It never ends. Can you feel my heart? Pray for plagues. The sadness will never end, which had fucking Sam Carter come on to do his part in it. And if you would have asked me to, you should say, give me 50 possibilities for the Bring Me headlines yeah. at, all, at all points. These. Sam Carter coming out for the sadness will never end would not have been on there. Because sadness, the sadness will never end is, is like a song on Suicide Season, which Bring Me just don't play. They just don't play it live. Because if they're going to play songs on Suicide Season, it'll be Chelsea Smile or Diamonds Aren't Forever. Just because they're the two biggest, like, notable bangers on the album. and But to see Sam and Ollie together was just fucking uh, phenomenal. Uh, they did an acoustic version of Sleepwalking, which sounds much better than what you would have expected, actually. You'd think, oh, Sleepwalking, usually you'd need the big synth behind the chorus. No, actually, because the crowd did it all for him. It was, you know, a special moment that was. Ollie was really emotional on stage, talking about how much, you know, it meant to him, all that kind of stuff. Um... 
And the, the concept of, like, Ollie can't scream anymore, I've got to say, is absolute bollocks. <laughs> uh, because he absolutely can. Because on Pray for Plagues, mate, he sounded like there was a fucking demon in his chest. And it was the best thing ever. And I was so angry and happy at the same time. It was the greatest thing. And Ollie doesn't like playing Pray for Plagues live because he just doesn't like the song. But you could tell he was, he was still really, really into it. And you could tell Lee Malley was having a fucking time as well. Mm. Um, and you know the part on Pray for Plagues. Oh. Yeah. Mate. Oh, mate. It was... Ollie, Ollie said before the way he was like, this is the best part of the song. Get fucking ready. And he did the dirtiest scream, mate. It was class. Um... Moving away from that though, like Nihilist Blues, which is like the trance song on the out on Ammo, the latest album, that went down unbelievably, mate. The crowd fucking kicked off. It was, uh, you know, where are you gonna hear a deathcore song like Prayer for Plagues and a trance song in the same headline set at a festival? It just doesn't happen. Exactly, that that's that sort of variation that makes them so so very relevant. I'm gonna ask you a very talk show question now. Yeah, man. Oh, bring me the rise in the band of our generation. They absolutely are. Uh, there's, oh, no, there's no doubt in my mind. And you assume that they will continue to be for the next five or ten years, right? This is their era now. Yeah, this is it, man. They're, they're, they're going to take the ball by the horns. They're, they're going to be the difference maker for this for this genre. And it's funny because the f- some fans of this genre have been throwing shit at Bring Me the Horizon for literally 14 years. And yet, Bring Me... Uh, uh, the one, uh, the one band that are gonna that are gonna make a difference in this genre, and anyone who is out there thinking, oh, bring me a shit now because they're a pop band, etc., etc. Bring me hate metal, da, da, da. you're wrong, you're wrong, and you're just trying to be an edge lord. Because okay, okay, you may not like Ammo, Ammo may not be for you. That's fine, but Ammo's not a bad album just because it doesn't hasn't got blast beats in. Do you know what I mean? And you like the the concept of bring me the horizon of solid and they don't care about metal or rock anymore is absolute bollocks. And let me tell you why. Because for Antivist, before they did the final breakdown, um, they paused for a little bit. And Ollie was saying, I, I did an interview um, a couple of months ago where I said, I think rock music's shit now. He's like, and I think I was... I think I was right in some cases and wrong in the others because there's so many fucking sick rock bands coming through. And I'm going to be, I'm, I'm about to give you an example of one. He brings out the lead singer from Loud to See Tomate to do the final breakdown with him on Antivist. Now, Loud to mm-hmm. Cita are a band that actually, I literally saw them support, support, make them suffer upstairs in the asylum venue last Friday. The, 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 the crowd that was at All Points East is probably more than every Loud to Cita show attendance combined times two, probably. Because they're, because they're a band that are literally just starting. So me and you really dig that Social Hazard EP they dropped, yeah? Yeah, I'll enjoyed it. Mate, they literally just had Ollie Sykes bring out the vocalist on stage and say, you should check out this band. They're fucking amazing. I think I think they're going to be massive. Right there, in that, in that 30 seconds, Ollie Sykes has done more for rock music in that 30 seconds than any band has done in the last fucking five years. Because, wow. b- because, let's. I don't know the attendance for All Points East. Let's say it was twenty thousand. If ten percent of them check out Lauterseater, that's two thousand extra fans for Lauterseater. That immediately, that immediately moves them up to the next level. 
And no, no, I've never been to a festival or a gig or anything where um, a band as big as Bring Me The Horizon with a figurehead as big, as known and as loved as Oddie Sykes has, like, give their... I'm, I, I'm trying to think of the right, the right phraseology, but, like, kind of, like, made this band and been like, you need to really check these out. They're amazing. You know, they, they could have so easily been like, oh, give it up for low to see it today on the safe stage, and then just moved on and did the fucking breakdown. Do you know what I mean? But instead, he brings him out, and now Lotus Eater just potentially got another 2,000 fans. Maybe maybe 20% will check him out and like him. You don't know, obviously. But I thought it was a fucking such an amazing, cool thing to do. Yeah, and I agree. It, and again, he absolutely didn't. They absolutely didn't have to do that. Could have dropped that breakdown for activists, and it would have kicked off just as much as just as much as it did uh, with the vocal, with the Lotus Eater vocalist doing it with him. Uh, but yeah, and the reason why I say it's he's done more for rock music there than any other band has done in the last five years. I don't mean that in the sense of no bands have done any great albums. The last five years, well, two or three years specifically, in rock and metal has been absolutely fantastic. But what I mean is a band the size of Bring Me The Horizon that have the ability to really make someone going out of their way to do it. Everyone brings the support bands with them, but to bring a literal unknown out on stage and be like, take note of these, they're fucking sick. And he knows people listen because it's Ollie Sykes. What an awesome thing to do. And just to round it all off in a nutshell, I thought they were fantastic. They're the band of the generation. Uh, metal fucking doesn't need Bring Me The Horizon. But having them around certainly isn't a bad thing. And they, they're a fantastic figurehead to go forward for alternative music. Can't speak highly enough of the set. <laughs> it's funny because the last time I saw Bring Me Do A headline set was at Wembley in 2013. I, I saw them sub-headline for Metallica at, at Leeds, but obviously I mean like a headline set. And that show I couldn't really enjoy that much because I think I've told you this before. I had like uh, an ingrowing hair that had got like infected at like the base of my spine. Slash, like, I remember top, this. Slash the, top remember of this. My, slash the top of my ass. And obviously because, I, I, you know... When was the last time you looked at your ass for ingrowing hairs? Do you know what I mean? You don't look, do you? So I'd Not recently, it... no. <laughs> I'd left it so long that it had gone infected. Uh, and I had to get antibiotics. And I was in pain at Wembley Arena. Like, I couldn't really enjoy it. Even though the set was fucking amazing. And they played literally, like, all of the heavy bangers for the whole entire crew up to that point. Because Semper Turner had only been out for a year. Um, I couldn't enjoy it because I was in so much pain. Whereas they gave me... The, the, the most I could realistically hope for from this set. Obviously, I'd love to hear Bring Me The Rise and just do songs from fucking Count Your Blessings to Sem Paternal, of course I would, but it's not realistic. Realistically, they gave me the absolute best fan service that I could have hoped for, and they looked fucking perfect on that main stage headline in the festival, and long may it continue. And it will continue. They just got announced for Glastonbury, um, and they should be headlining download. They should be headlining download with Architect Subbing. Next year, I'll be very surprised if that's not, or maybe Architects third, uh, but I'll be very surprised if that's not um, the choice because they fit it. Uh, sorry to just ramble on and on there, no, anyway, but I, I just wanted to describe how much of a fucking time I had and how fantastic Bring With Horizon were and how wrong I was to doubt. Sound. Let's now, do these albums. Yeah, man. So how's like because you, you're gonna have to talk for a long time now. So how's your voice holding up? Because we can't we can leave it out for this episode if you if you. If your voice is feeling weak. <clears throat> no, man, I'm good. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, so a quick recap of the last five. Yes, of course. Of course. So where we last left off was 
Um, <clears throat> Enter Shikari Tag to the Skies, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, Event Sevenfold White in the Fallen. Yeah. Ramstein Mutter. Killswitch Engage, End of Heartache. Bullet for Valentine, The Poison. Event Sevenfold City of Evil. Trivium is, uh, I think we stopped, was he stopped there? Event Sevenfold City of Evil. I think we did, yes. So, uh, next on this is Trivium. Indeed, it is Ascendancy. Ah, what a fucking banger, mate. <clears throat> yeah, um, I think this is the um, the best album from that year. Um, um, with that year includes City of Evil and, and, and sort of The Poison and End of Heartache. I think it is, it's an extraordinary metal album. Yeah, it really it's is. Ex- extraordinary metal album. Um, just of, of, of heavyweight quality and writing. Um, I think it's the... It's the perfect heavy metal, metalcore, modern metal album in terms of writing and and just complexity and heaviness. And, and this is like Dying in Your Arms and Pull Hard on the Strings of Yamata and uh, Rain. It's just, it's just a gunshot to the head of trepidation. Oh literally just God. meant to say and like light to the flies as well. Yeah, it's just, it's an album from start to finish that is just mind-blowing. This band had released one EP in 2004, I think. Remember to Inferno, and then came out with this as their like second, so like a sophomore album, but really their first fully fledged project. It is just astonishing, and this set the platform for the greatness that they have that they've enjoyed now because it is just it is just wonderful from start to finish. I think it's one of the the best modern metal albums I have ever heard, one of the best metal albums I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, it's absolutely fucking brilliant. I love even the title track as well. Yeah, and the, the, depart- the, 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 the departure as well is great too. The, the album is really exceptional, and when we saw them live um, with that lineup, you remember? I do. Um, man, when they when they played "Pull Hard on the Strings of Yamata," that special man, those drum fills. Fucking exactly. What, what what a fucking album, yeah, man. Um, in terms of like debut, I suppose you can call it a debut albums. Fuck me, what else do you want from a metal band? Uh, what's next? Uh, Holy Wood by Marilyn Manson. Oh, interesting. Uh, Divulge. <clears throat> um, I think it's, it's the it's it's the album that really established Marilyn Manson as a uh, a cult a cult hero in um in the new metal world. Released in two thousand, fourth studio album. It has uh, Goddy God the Love Song the Fight Song Disposable Teens the Nobodies. Um, a really, really just sort of really key Marilyn Manson album, and one of the ones that has established Marilyn Manson as a true, um, a true great of of the industry. We were talking about him needing to tour, not needing to tour again. It's because of this album, because of albums like this that he went on the run that he did. This and the Modern Family, he brought out the first, his first album, um, just incredible, just incredible, and and just really, really set the tone. And and Marilyn Manson is one of, I think. Even even outside of the music, one of the most important figures in metal we've ever had. Absolutely. In terms of the defence of metal and metal's reputation and metal's appearance, and for both sections, I think I love the fact that Marilyn Manson looks terrifying, but speaks at a degree level every time he's interviewed. I love that he's able to to to, to dress up in a way that people would assume that all he wants to talk about is like slaying demons, and he's able to really really <clears throat> explain his thought processes on, on on things like politics and art and music 
and I know it sounds really, I know it sounds really silly that I'm almost giving him a pass because he's intelligent. I'm not trying, I'm not trying to like say that that's that those are those albums here. I'm just saying that he he has done more to divert the negative stereotype that metalheads are stupid than pretty much any other metal figure we've ever had, really. And on top of that, he's released some really groundbreaking music during a period of time where metal needed heroes and metal was full of bands rather than rock stars. And he is a rock star. And this is one of those albums that really established that. Uh, next. Um, Opeth, Blackwater Park. Ah, uh, you're into Opeth, aren't you? I respect them greatly. Yes. Um <clears throat> Chris, if you if you take five minutes um, and Google the top 100, top 200, top 20 metal albums ever, this will be in every single one of them. Yeah, um, yeah it, it's one of those albums that, that Opeth don't spring to mind when you think of great metal bands or metal albums, as much as like the Slipknots and Metallicas of the world. But along the under, I want to say I want to say the underground because it sounds demeaning. But there is a underbelly of metal that is as fervently followed as as any other genre of music. And Opeth are the kings, really, of, of that sort of progressive death metal or progressive black metal. Um, and this is this is the blackening of extreme underground metal is the only way I would compare it to. It's <clears throat> in a genre... Um, in a collection of genres, really, in black metal and death metal, that's not really taken many steps forward since its inception. Blackwater Park came out, and it's just a force in terms of songwriting, and then considerable impact, and turned Opeth from a very good Swedish metal band to, like, Bloodstock headliners, and considered, like, legends of their field. And band and albums that have that platform and that have that power to take a band and thrust them into mainstream consideration like Blackwater Park did for Opeth, I think is um, a really, really, really terrific thing. This is the album that, that when I say Opeth, you've heard of them. Like, and you know about them and you know that they're a, con- yeah. a strongly considered, respected metal band. It's because of this album. And and that actually I think is more impressive than an, a good album being released by a well-known band. It's it's harder for Opeth to have an impact on the mainstream metal community. So for an album like this to break into it shows its um, depth of of songwriting quality. And it is it's extraordinary. It really is extraordinary. Some of the music here is is actually haunting and beautiful and heavy and and orchestral and epic all at the same time. I'm gonna check this album out on my commute to work tomorrow. Um, just yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with it. Um, you'll need to just—it's I don't know how to explain it. It wouldn't say weird, but I would say that you need just listen to it. Like just listen to the album alone. You need to concentrate. It's one of those albums. Like you know when you listen to that Dream Theater and you're like, okay, I've got to really try and figure this out. Or when it's like periphery, you've got to really focus. Yeah, it's it's that sort of album, I think. Um, yeah, but it's it's well worth your time. And uh, so what number was that like? That was 76, we're on number 75. 75, and what's 75? Slipknot, Volume 3, The Subliminal Verses. Ah, oh, lower than I expected. What a fucking album this is. Um, You know, 
on a three album run, Sam. <laughs> yes. For this to be album three. Not bad, is it? <laughs> Not bad at all. Uh, remember that um, obviously the reason that it's this far down is because of the place of the category. Yeah. And the contextualised um, contextualization that I've done in terms of like its length of, of, of impact and things like that. Um, in a decade, I think this will be in the 40s and 50s, which sounds like a strange thing to say, but the, the, those are the reasons that I created the list is that I think longevity has to be proven rather than assumed. Um, but this is this will have no issue. <laughs> um, um, we're gonna be we're gonna be duality is one of the one of the all time greatest metal songs. It just absolutely, is. It just it absolutely. just is. Um, and this this thrust Slipknot from being a incredibly scary and notorious band, albeit one that you wouldn't sit down and listen to and get over to every metal band, to releasing a set of songs that have now become staples of any metal fans repertoire and it's not just duality it's before i forget it's the blister exists uh this show people say that slipknot took a step backwards here because it's not as heavy well i think it's actually a step forward because it shows they were more than just a heavy band more than just a band of brutality you Absolutely. just just a danger keep away on this song and Corey taylor singing like a jazz singer with the keyboards in the background and you can't walk away from that being unimpressed um, by the level of dexterity and even some of the even some of the lesser known songs are incredible here. Pulse of the Maggots, Alpine of the People, um, the uh, the Nameless, like just brilliant. Vermilion, uh, yeah, fuck, I forgot about Vermilion. Um, it's just a, a collection of really really high arcane stadium filling songs, and uh, you get the impression that Slipknot have said, all right, so almost said to themselves, okay, we've spent three or four years trying to get the fans to, to beat the shit out of each other. Now it's time to unite them almost. And and this is what this album does. I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a modern masterpiece. Could not agree more. Fucking love Alpine with the people and Pulse of the Maggots. That's one of the best songs to open the gig to. Oh, 100%. Corey Taylor's speech at the start. Oi, Unbelievable. Oi. Fucking hell. I could fight someone right now. I could I'd follow Corey Taylor anywhere. <laughs> uh, was that the end of that category? Uh, no, there are um, four remaining that run from 74 to 71. Right, okay. Um, so up so to you. I can, yeah, I can rally through them now. I can finish them off next time. If you'd like. we'll f- yeah, so we'll finish off next time because then you can end that category next time. Do you know no, what I mean? All, yeah, of course. Okay, so, um, dude. MTXS, Ike. Yes. Man, um... Do you know, the first thing I've got, the first bullet points I've got on my notes here, it's the fucking guitar tone in caps with, <laughs> with exclamation marks after me. I, I'm, I'm legitimately in love with the guitar tone on this album, Sam. Uh, please tell me that you relate. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Um, can you imagine a gig where these tours knock loose? Literally got that on my notes as well. It's a fucking <laughs> harrowing thought that is. That's, these, are the, these are that sort of band, aren't they? Um, this pulls no punches. Um, this does not outstay its welcome. This is ten songs of bass, Spartan-level brutality. This is just like getting kicked in the chest for 36 minutes. Um, and I think that's a wonderful thing. That being said, my criticism for it, it is like being kicked in the chest for 36 minutes. <laughs> and yeah. 
sometimes you want to take a bit of a break and he just doesn't provide that. So if you, but then again, if you're listening to this band for variety, then you are in the wrong place. This is just a head banging, pitch shaking, groovy, nasty, dirty, metal as fuck album. So we cast didn't make it clear enough when we first started the review. Uh, the band is called MTXS and the album is called Ike out on the 7th of June. Uh, I was curious at what really MTXS stood for and whether it was like whether I was going to be saying it correctly. It turns out it's Metaxis, which is Greek for like neither here nor there. Which is like That's interesting. Interesting. Yeah, it was quite interesting. But in terms of the actual actual band they're like a blend of code orange and lautacita <laughs> mentioned lautacita quite a, quite a lot on this episode but they've got that what i love so much about this album is that like it's we've got like this kind of like a uh, revival or or kind of renaissance for like dissonant hardcore but none of the bands ever sound the same yeah i agree they, uh, you, uh, you draw comparisons between knock loose and mtxs but they don't actually sound the same no, it, it it is different, and I fucking love that because at the end of the day, obviously they've got they've got the guitarists at hand that have got the easily got the ability to pull off this style of music quite well. In fact, actually, the guitarists they announced Aidan Cooper and Rudy McDonald. Holy shit, they do a job on this, uh, just mm-hmm. fucking punishing from fucking the first second to the last. But it's nice to see that like that they've just tweaked their style a little bit to be something different, so that it's not literally like listening to an album that you could mistake for Employed to Serve or Knock Loose or like maybe one of Code Orange's like unreleased albums. Code not... Orange was definitely the band that I heard into a few moments of this. Yeah, definitely. and I, mean, I ain't complaining because you know how much I fucking love Code Orange. One, the, the thing that sticks out to me the most on this album is that uh, Eric Bickerstaff, who is actually a member of Loathe, I'll be seeing them at 2000 Trees next month, uh, did, the produ- did the production on the album. And I, I honestly don't think he could have done a better job here. No, I, th- I think I think I think in terms of the musicianship for what they wanted to achieve, um, this is uh, this is about as good as it could have gone, isn't it? The guitar tone is so low that it, <laughs> literally, like for the, the first song, "Mold." As soon as that song kicks in, it's like fucking your eyes just go black because it's <laughs> so it's, it's so fucking heavy, and I, and I think that. Man, if you're listening to this podcast and you're into like really, really heavy <laughs> hardcore, holy shit, you would be you would be welcomed by this album. I tell you that. If if um, you listen to this on the drive to work, you're mowing down several people on the way. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like that kind of literally just like relentless, obliteratory fucking heavy from the get go right to the end. And I can understand why for you that there would be a criticism. You know, not not a massive criticism, but like the, the, there's not a lot of change because I know that you do like a bit of variety, and so do I as well. But sometimes, I, you know, if you've got, if if you went into this album thinking I'd love to just get kicked in the chest for 36 minutes, you'd probably give this a 10 out of 10. Oh, absolutely, it, it does that exactly. No, like, no one, you know, no one criticizes Slayer. Yeah, legit, because they're getting no one criticizes right, Sepultura. Pantera never wrote a ballad, never needed one. I mean, well, Cemetery Gates, but like even so. No, so, um, yeah, the point but, remains. Do you know what I mean? So, um, if you're like, yeah, if you're listening to this band thinking, oh, I'm surprised the synths haven't kicked in yet. If they're not a second vocalist, then then honestly, honestly, might just like listen to somebody else. This is somebody else. But if if you're like, I really need something to, to to pump me up, get me through the day, 
make me make me pull a grim face and, and headbutt an old woman through Sainsbury's, then this is exactly what you need to put on. <laughs> Something that we mean you do quite regularly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. There's a there's a breakdown on Bad Blood, which sometimes when things like really heavy, I just laugh. And but and fuck me, the breakdown on Bad Blood, I'm like, man, it. If this is played live, the, the speakers are going to fucking explode, man. Like, 100%. surely. Um, I really like the attitude of the band. I, I, the, the vocalist sounds so fucking furious uh-huh. for, for the entirety of the album. He's got that kind of, like, venomous spit uh, that, like, blends in so well with the tonality of the album, which, again, put down to uh, Eric Bickerstaff on the, uh, as producer, man unbelievable job he's done with this record. I really fucking love this. I think mean, this is absolutely great. Like, this is because, right off your street, this is. Yeah, man, because when, when, I, when I was looking at the email of the, introducing the band, and it was like, for fans of Lowell, Vane and Slipknot, I was like, fucking gimme it. I, like, <laughs> I, uh, I was like, fucking, you can shoot me pellets of this music right in the eyeballs. I love some of that. Um, so when, when I pressed play on this, I was expecting Lowell, Vane and Slipknot. And Slipknot, I didn't hear a lot of. No, no, that was an eye-catching off the PR, yeah, that was. Less of the Slipknot. Um, but, you know, I'm not complaining still, because this band are fucking awesome. Um, and there's there's, an, there's a, an idea I've got somewhere where, like, Knock Loose Headline and Loud to See to an empty excessor supports. And would we leave that gig alive? Probably not, but what a fucking way to go out. <laughs> I, I'm really, really into this album. I'm kind of toying with whether to give it a seven and a half or an eight because, like, you know, there's 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 no variety. But then I'm going in and I'm not. I shouldn't be expecting variety. Fuck it. I'm gonna go eight out of ten because I fucking really enjoy this album and it's really catered to me perfectly. Uh, fucking great album. Literally just like skull crushing heavy from the second you press play. I can't imagine anyone that likes hardcore that doesn't like this band. I've got a feeling these are going to really fucking smash some serious fucking popularity. Uh, Sam? I'm going to go with Seven. think it's really solid. think it's really enjoyable. I am going to hold the lack of variety against them, only because you can find variety and maintain heaviness and still be impressive. You don't necessarily have to change your genre, and I'd like to have seen it. That being said, it does exactly what it says in the tin. It is a Ron Seal of heavy hardcore, and I'm all about it. So that was Ake by MTXS, and that is out on the 7th of June. I beg you, check it out if you're into your heaviness, man. A fucking great album. So. <laughs> Shall we just go now? And you can... Uh, right, then. Um, so. Talk amongst yourselves. Biffy Clyro. Balance <laughs> is not symmetry. It's an album that came out. It's gonna, By the time this podcast out on Tuesday, I'm going to put this up. Uh, the album will have been out for around about two weeks. Uh, they they get the, like, ghost dropped it. On the Friday when we were recording the um, the last episode, and obviously I, I wouldn't have just randomly just said, "Oh, you got a review new album today as well." It's like three albums, in, and you've got like one day for us to get our thoughts together. Oh, and by the way, it's Biffy Clyro. <laughs> so, what I'll do for people who may not have listened to Soundcheck is just pass to you. Uh, just, just tell me again, just because I, I don't like hearing it, but you know, <laughs> so, so, you know maybe, maybe you'll put it in different ways to make you understand, even though you probably won't. Um, why don't you like Biffy Clara, Sam? I can't stand the vocalist. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, so cheap. <laughs> not as a person, I'm sure he's sound. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I hate the um, the sound of his voice. I hate the the cadence of the way that he pronounces the lyrics. I hate the 
the exaggeration of the Scottish accent. I think it sounds cringy. I think it sounds cheesy. I think it distracts away from what is a de- perfectly decent band. I think they're overrated because of that. People, are, people, I think, mistake them because they sound because they sound different. That immediately makes that unique and good. I think that sounds different because it's shit. Um, I, <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think they're um, they're they're like a wannabe. Foo- <laughs> they're a wannabe Foo Fighters with a Scottish singer. The people are like, oh, this sounds different, and I think they just cling on to that. But in reality, um, I think their songs are overrated. I think they're pretend, cliche, emotional, homely feeling songs that <clears throat> try and have the, the the gravitas of like big rock, big British rock bands, but because of the way that he sings i can't enjoy them i can appreciate the the impact that they have and that some people can ignore the fact that he he sounds the way that he does i cannot i'll just i'll just never get i'll just never get along with it and um while i can respect their music and i promise me my, my review will be professional and respectful in the right ways i will explain how certain songs are not carried well by his vocals at all i just I can't, I can't get into it. I can't get into it at all. And I think they're, they're wildly overrated, wildly overrated. Apart, like they're, they're put placed as like one of the great British rock bands. And apart from Golden Rule and Mountains, um, I'm not too sure there are like any generation defining songs that they've ever written. Really, I just think that the people are forgetting that they sound unique, and it's apparently that's a good thing. I'm, I'm really not convinced that it is. But so apart from that, they're great. <laughs> so because of that, this obviously makes it like an interesting listen for us to review, but a difficult one for us to review because it, you know what, mate? Sometimes you listen to a band and you, you just, for whatever reason, it just they just don't kick it for you. And you know we could rattle off countless bands where me and you, like loads of people, love like me and you don't like Deftones. And some people will be like, what? You don't like Deftones, how? And for me, it's like, how do you like Deftones? I don't yeah. get it at all, you know what I mean? So, and so, you know, mate, that's completely fair. Like, Biffy just aren't for you at all. But we had yes. to review the album because it's, it's a fucking Biffy Clyro and they're a massive band. Yes. I love Biffy Clyro. I, I think they're an absolutely fucking unbelievable band. Oh, I love them. Why do, why do you love them then? I, I think they are inordinarily experimental within the confines of rock. They do things with rock music which it, which is fucking ballsy and then they always make it work, man. Like, I don't want to go too far into depth on the album review just yet, but there's a song on this album called Tunnels and Trees. Right. Absolute yeah. fucking bang. And I think it's the best song on the album. The start of that... The, I can't even tell you what the start of that song sounds like. It, 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 it's indescribable because it's so unusual. Um... It's like fucking... It's, it's like, like a phone. Zy- it's like a xylophone or something. It sounded like a phone message, didn't it? Like, it, it's like just... A phone it's notification. Ju- it's just weird, but but somehow, then, they merge that into general rock song, and the chorus on that is absolutely fucking massive, and I, I love mountains, right? Yeah. And tunnels and trees 
in terms of size and chorus, is probably the closest Biffy have got to recreate in that absolute, like, huge, anthemic, like, stadium-filling fucking uh, chorus that they're, they're actually very good at doing, but they've never quite managed to get back to the level of mountains. They've done several bangers since, which has never quite got that high, but I think Tunnels and Trees is a, is, is a real um, competitor for that. I also think that they've stood the test of time excellently. This is we're talking about a band. He's on a new band. Biffy Clyde have been around since the early 2000s. They've like they were like I think their first album was like two thousand two, um, so they're they're a band that have like really like worked at the craft. Now their early albums I'm not familiar with. I got on board with Only Revolutions, which is the song I had, which is the album I had. Menu of Horror, uh, The Golden Rule, Mountains, etc. That's that's when I got on board, and I didn't go back. So I I can only refer to Biffy Clara for the band that I know since twenty. I got into around about twenty fourteen, I think. But from that point, I stumbled across a band that where. I think that above all else, they're they're a great fucking rock band, and they're right they're right legitimately like heavy rock music as well as man they can fucking spin off a ballad. They're they're amazing. They're they're, they're a three piece which which blows my mind live as well. But when when you see them uh, playing live, you think you fucking hell. They must have someone behind them as well playing. But no, <laughs> it's just them. Um, and I think that. If you look at, and I was going to leave, I was going to leave this point until the end of the review. Uh, but if if you look at their contemporaries, like Biffy Clyro's contemporaries in, in modern rock, you're probably talking Muse, maybe Radiohead, The Strokes, Foo Fighters, maybe Red Hot Chili Peppers. Obviously, Red Hot Chili Peppers have been around for fucking much longer than Biffy Clyro. But I think Biffy are above ahead of all of them. I really do. I think Biffy are a better band than Foo Fighters. Oh in dear t- Lord, stop! <laughs> no, wait. In ter- in ter- I don't think Foo Fighters have ever done an album as good as Opposites. Opposites is a two-sided album, and it's fucking sensational. It's absolutely amazing. It's one of the best albums of the decade. I cannot speak highly enough for that album. It's it's got everything you could want from a rock album. I don't think Foo Fighters have ever done an album that's as eclectic and like. An album full of bangers. Foo Fighters are the greatest singles band in rock history, in my opinion. They've got the singles nailed down. They'll do a set list of 20 of their singles, and I would cry for nearly every single one of them, because they're all fucking bangers, and I'd just be so happy to be there and experience it. They're like the last band like, on my checklist that I need to tick off that I've seen. But as a band, again, like... Maybe Biffy Clyro's earlier back catalogue wouldn't be as good as Foo Fighters' earlier back catalogue. I don't know because I've never listened to it. But if we're talking 2014 onwards, I, I, I think Biffy fucking way outweigh Foo Fighters in terms of like a, 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 a gathering of music together as a rock band. And I think that I, I just think they're fucking awesome. Um, how many bangers they've released in the last four albums for Biffy is just absurd. Like it's, it's amazing how many classic rock songs they've managed to, to pump out in a in a short amount of time. Uh, I think they're the best rock band of the generation. I really do. And this this album, I think it's fantastic. It plays with the boundaries of rock in a genuinely interesting way. Like, they, you know, rock bands now, they put synths in their music because, it, you know, it, it's become part of, like, mainstream culture, etc. And so many other artists are doing it. But if you fucking play with it really well here, and this doesn't have to mean that you think it's good, but when was the last time you heard a song that sounded like Fever Dream? No, I, I, I understand. I understand. This is an ambitious album. And I know but... that doesn't make it good. I like Fever Dream. I'm mm. assuming maybe you don't because mm. of because of Simon's voice on it. But again, like I, 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 I actually think Simon's a great singer. 
I actually really like his voice. Uh, Live is fantastic as well. I saw him headline Leeds and it was fucking great. I loved it. Um, and yet, like, Fever Dream and Gates of Heaven on this. Man, when have you when have you heard a rock band doing this? <laughs> I think they're really fucking dexterous. They're really fucking ballsy. And this album is another example of that. It's a long, it's long in the tooth. I will say that it's an hour long. And I know it sounds strange for me to be like, because you know I love metal, and a lot of like classic metal is over an hour because the most of the songs are fucking twenty minutes, especially if it's fucking Metallica. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it is a bit long in the tooth. Seventeen songs. It's over an hour long. But I think. As a collection of rock music, this this is another fucking great notch on, on Biffy Clyro's belt. Tunnels and Trees is an absolute banger. Fever Dream and Gates of Heaven are really different and weird, but they're still like really interesting and really morose. Uh, Touch, another great rock song. And there is a song on here as well called Different Kind of Love, which is a, a fucking really interesting, cool ballad. And I really like Colour Wheel as well. Um, so I, I love it. I'm going to pass it over to you for you to break down every single thing I just said. Um, I want to start with the positives okay I didn't think there would be any so that's cool there are some positives Um, I think some of these songs are well written I think they are ambitious they are big Um, the guitarist is incredibly talented some of the riffs he writes I think are exceptional Um, tracks two and three uh, well written mature textual songs bit of a cheesy ballad number three but I'm not too sure about that um Track four reminds me of like Sniver Down style staccato e um, backwards and forth riffing and things like that, and I, I really found that was impressive. Um, I thought the highlight, I thought the highlight of the album. <laughs> I don't know if you're gonna feel about this. I thought the highlight of the album was the opening minute of track five, which I'll find the title of for you now. Uh, pink. Um, pink. Pink. No, track four. Sorry, Sunrise. Oh, okay. um, because it's 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 a minute it's a minute of riffing and then he starts singing <laughs> uh, and it all goes downhill after that. Um, I think I think this is a good rock album and then starts pretending that it isn't one and I find that really strange. Um, it sound they sound like just ignoring my personal distaste with Biffy Claro just a second, which is difficult for me to do. So please allow. Um, it sounded like they really they wrote four Biffy Claro songs and then twelve not Biffy Claro songs and just sort of tried to piece them together. It doesn't sound like the album really has a lot of of cohesion. And I thought that was really strange. Um I thought the songs where they um like Fever Dream, um the the songs where they like, like plead and the naturals, uh, which is alright actually, improves as it goes along, but um Songs like like Plead and Fever Dream, where it's it's electronic based and slow, and <clears throat> he sings over he sings over the top. I think are really weak. Personally, I don't enjoy those songs. I think Biffy are at their best when they revert to what has made them an incredibly popular uh, and incredibly well thought of band in the industry by combining the the sharp riffs with the with the big with the big operatic sort of choruses. And I think when they don't do that. That starts sounding like a strange imitation of other sort of indie synthy bands, and I don't think that suited what they're good at. <clears throat> and again, it, it, it put too much pressure on his voice, and I don't think he suits those sort of songs. I think he suits the powerful rock numbers. I think that's what he's good at. Um, there's a lot of songs that are well written here, and this sounds like um, if you're a Biffy fan, I think you're going to really, 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 really love this album because 
uh, a lot of a lot of the a lot of the things that he does well are classic biffy things like big choruses and great riffs and well-written acoustic numbers and that sort of stuff and and like bits where there's like group vocal singing at the back which biffy i know are, are famous for and if you like that sort of stuff obviously by liking the band i think you're gonna really dig that and i think the if you like if you love the band biffy clyro then you'll appreciate that they're trying to do other stuff and i think that'll make you form a positive opinion about the album for me it sounded like they tried to do something else but it didn't work out for me um and that's the nicest way i can put it familiarly um his voice does nothing for me and i think at times it, it takes away from what they're trying to do there's at times where um like he, he sings and like his accent like really thickens at the end of a sentence and i cringe um <laughs> uh like it's it's when he, he, he it, like like when words end with like an ooh sound and you can really hear how scottish he is in that moment <laughs> and uh, it stops sounding like a it stops sounding like a rock song can i and, ask sorry do you also dislike twin atlantic um I, i'm not a big fan of theirs but i, I, I know they try- do the same thing yeah I, I i don't like that in general um I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a massive fan of like overtly accented songs. Like I'm not a massive fan of Chaz and Dave. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a strange one, but like just a ridiculously cockney song. I think it's just a bit cheesy, and it starts, it stops sounding like music and starts sounding a bit like spoken word um, prose, and I, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. It doesn't sit well with me. And the songs where that kicks in are the songs where I sort of um, move away from. But I think this is a, a large and well-written album. Um, it says it's an original motion picture soundtrack. I'm assuming is that is that a title, or is that actually has it been written for a film? Yeah, um, I, I, I'm I'm assuming it's part of it's like like an offshoot, like cool part of the title. I kind of think, um, <laughs> unless I've missed something, which there's in, an opportunity. That would potential. that would support the idea of what they're doing in terms of the variety of the music, then, because in which case. This has to be treated as a concept album, rather than just like a normal studio album. We maybe if 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 that's if that's the ideology that they're going down. Um, I think I think some of these songs are really well written. I think some of these riffs are really really good. Um, I think by by the same extension, I think some of this is really bad. And I think it it takes like a weird left turn two thirds around the album, where I'm like, you could have took four four of these random little filler tracks out of this, and no one would have noticed a difference. Oh, you know what? I've just I've just like quickly looked it up, and yes, actually, this is supporting the film. Okay. The debut at the Edinburgh Film Festival on twenty third of June. Oh well, that makes sense then, because those little transition songs then are designed purely for for the start and end of the film for the film consumption, which means this is not a normal Biffy Studio album, which means I think that you can only really focus on the songs that actually sound like Biffy songs rather than these little transitional numbers. Um, in which case, then that's fine. Because maybe it's not maybe it's not meant to be consumed on its own. Maybe it has to be watched with a listened to with a film where there's dialogue and a narrative and stuff. And maybe that would distract from his dog awful voice as well, and that would be useful. But um, aside <laughs> aside aside from that, there are five really good if you like them Biffy Clara songs. However, if you don't like Biffy Clara like me, this isn't a band that this isn't an album that will win you over. This isn't the album, and you'll admit this. You're like, oh, I'm not a fan of Biffy. You wouldn't sit me down and play this. You wouldn't. I'd sit you down and play Tunnel and Trees. Yeah, and then skip the next 11. 
but, but to to try and win you over, yeah, I would. Yeah, so... Um, um, I, I, if I was going to win you over, I'd play you opposites. That album's fucking sensational. Um, but I, I, me personally, like... If you can because, find me a version where they're all instrumentals, I'll love it. <laughs> because because the girls dropped this album, I didn't actually notice that it was to it was to do with a film, and so I've literally just looked it up, which is a, a bit of a bit of a, um, a ball drop on my part. That's okay. Um, but actually, you know what? I, I think I think it might have actually added to my th- made it an interesting ad that I didn't know that it was part of like for a film and I still looked as like a Norma Ficarra album and I still loved it because I, I, I think that the, the the fact that they've been like you know what yeah we'll write a soundtrack for a film and we'll fucking and we'll smash it out of the park and for me I think I think they have it, this has got the the standard stuff that you'd want from a Ficarra album and weird cool little intricacies which they've never done before, which they've kind of played around a bit on other albums, but they've never really gone all in on. Um, and but but they managed to blend that into the the walls of Bluey Clyro without making it seem like it like it jars against everything. And I I think this is a terrific album. I really like this. I think this is an album that no, I wouldn't play to someone to win you over. But I think once you're in. This is an album that you would really fucking. That's the enjoy. thing, isn't it? That's the thing. I don't, and, and that that's the the culmination of my opinion. If you like Biffy, you'll love it. If you don't, it won't change your opinion. I am going to give this album an eight out of ten because I think it's a fucking great piece of music, and uh, they're one of my favourite bands. I, I I really do love Biffy Clyro. Uh, to close out the show, Sam. Six point five. Um, when it's when it's a it's like four or five really good Biffy Clyro songs, and then lots of random stuff that I don't necessarily enjoy understand um which takes away the consistency which is why i'm not giving it a seven um but overall um i have no major issues with this album and i guess i haven't had an aneurysm while i've talked about it so we're all winners here <laughs> so that's it for this episode of sound check now in, uh, sound check with noise podcast um so in terms of what comes next um because i'm at download in two weeks and that obviously i'll be there wednesday <clears> till <throat> monday uh, it might be a little bit difficult for us to figure out uh, when we're going to do an episode, uh, so leave that with us. Uh, we'll think we'll think of something. A post-download an... episode makes sense, though, doesn't it? Post-download episode makes sense. Uh, that could potentially be like three weeks though without an episode. So maybe we'll chuck an episode out next week. Me and you will talk to each other um, about that and see what we decide. No problem at all. But that is it for this episode of the Noise Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we will be back <laughs> either next week or in three weeks. Like I said, I am going to download, so there will be a, a, a massive download review on the podcast. So I'm fucking very excited. I'm going to see Slipknot, Slayer, and Lamb of God on the same festival. So maybe there won't be a fucking Noise Podcast episode. My, <laughs> my remains might be fucking like buried into fucking downloads grass. <laughs> Thank you, you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. We love you. Bye.